Ephesians chapter 6. About 60 or 70 years ago, maybe not even that long ago, some of you can remember that. It's, it's not been that long ago. Secular view of parenting was had a lot in common with the biblical view of parenting. It's not true anymore. Not true anymore at all. We live in a different world. And uh, all that has changed. And God's view has been anchored fast. God's view hasn't changed. God's view is right where it always has been. But the world's view is like a, a raft speeding down a raging river headed for the waterfalls. Disasters ahead. Our world is falling apart. And a lot of it has to do with this aspect of the world view of parenting. And we've been so indoctrinated by the world that it's hard sometimes to sift in our own minds what's biblical and what's everybody else doing. Right? What's the secular view? What's the biblical view? So this morning we're going to examine these two views of parenting. And we're going to highlight the secular worldview first and then examine what the Bible has to say about the biblical worldview. And some of you may be saying, well, Pastor, that's way back beyond me. I, my kids are all growing now. Well, you may have grandkids. Or you can have an influence on someone else. Be an encouragement to others. But it's important for us to understand what the Bible actually says. Now, I want to say right from the onset this morning, this is not a parenting message in the sense of teaching you how to parent. Yeah, we're not going to do that this morning. That is a topic that is much broader than this and much deeper than this. I'm giving you an overview this morning that uh, will help us to decipher between the secular worldview and the biblical worldview of parenting so that we can know what's the difference there. So that's our goal this morning, to give you that discernment that you need. We're going to start this morning by looking at the secular worldview of parenting. And one of the things that we need to ask ourselves right off at the start of this is, to whom do children belong? That's an important question. Our world has a view about that. Before birth, now remember these things I'm sharing with you during the secular worldview, I'm, I'm sharing them as if I'm describing the parenting of the secular worldview. I'm not endorsing these things, I'm just telling you this is the way it is. Before birth, the world says that a child belongs to its mother. It is she and she alone that has the right to decide where that little lad lives. If she decides she doesn't want it, she can abort it. After birth, in many ways, the government claims control of the child. In some countries, it's very obvious. In our country, maybe it's not quite as vividly obvious. But let me give you some suggestions that will help us to see how the government has a great, strong grasp on our children. One thing, the government pushes vaccinations. They do not want this to be a parent's choice. I mean, that little lad, you know, you, as soon as they're born, they start stabbing them full of needles. Well, what if the parent doesn't want that or they don't believe that's right? Well, the, the government really pushes hard that direction. Now, parents can oppose it and we could weasel around, but it's not easy. Even to go to school, you got, got all your vaccinations. Yeah, everywhere you turn, there's these push. So the government controls a lot of that. The government also pushes public education. You know, they, they, they frown on 
homeschooling, the private education for the most, I mean, when we talk about private education, you know, the schools around here that are, are religious schools, for the most part, they're religious in some senses, but the government controls a lot of what they do, all right? And a lot of times they use government curriculum and just put a Christian slant to it. But the government has a lot of control over education. God's left out. Evolution's taught as a fact. And that's sad. The government also has a financial support program for children. Now, whether that's right or wrong, I'm not here to debate that. But I'm just saying, when that happens, the government has a control. The government gives you something, they're going to say, I gave you this, so you do what I say. And there's, an, there's authority that comes along with that. There's control that comes along with that. And again, I'm not necessarily opposed to you know, some of the financial support programs that they have for children. I'm not saying that's wrong, but I'm saying there is, a, there is an impact on that. The government also frowns on corporal child punishment or discipline. And in some cases, they make it illegal. And so we see this as a secular worldview of, of how they view who your children belongs to. Does that child belong to you? Well, sort of. But the government's got a real strong hold on that little child. Then as we take a look a little bit more, to broaden it out a bit of the typical worldview or the secular view of parenting, parents ought to expect their children to be rebellious as that's normal. Hopefully in time they'll get over it. I mean, that's the typical thing. Well, what do you expect? Kids are all that way. You know, they're all rebellious and that's just the way life is. That's a secular worldview. God doesn't see it that way, but that's what the world views. It is normal for children to grow up in a single parent home or in a home where without both of the biological parents. I mean, that's a norm in our world anymore. I mean, you, you look down your street, and how many people are on their first marriage, and their kids have had mom and dad living at home in happy harmony, harmony for their child, childhood years? Not very many anymore. It's tragic. But the world looks at it as, well, that's normal. Got to get on with it. It's normal for dads and moms, and many moms anyway, not to mentor the children in practical daily duties of life. Like fixing things, changing the tire of the car, checking the car oil, gardening, cooking, cleaning, making the beds. All these little things you're supposed to learn, you know, in life, you know. And kids are getting to the age where they get out on their own and they don't know anything about that kind of stuff because nobody's ever taught them. So there's no mentoring, especially from dads. Moms are there more and, you know, out of necessity. They teach them a few things just to try to keep them out of their hair. But dads are not usually involved very much. And that's tragic. Many times it's because life is busy. Don't have time. Don't have time to sit down and teach my kids these things. Busy. We are in a very busy society, and it's sad. Part of it's our own fault. We make it more busy by some of the stuff we do. You know, technology is supposed to make life a little easier, but it makes it more strangling in some ways. We really, we we live in a busy world. Another thought is that parents should not try to pass on their religious views to their children. Children ought to choose as they please. I've 
I've knocked on doors of people, and the guy comes to the door. I'm from the Baptist. Oh, I don't believe that. And you start swearing at you. I don't believe that rubbish. A little kid standing beside him says, Daddy, what's he want? Oh, he's just from that blankety blank church. And I said, Well, you know, you know, don't you want your children to learn about God? No, he'll learn from, you know, he'll make his own choices. Now, what kind of choices is he going to lead? He's learning from dad. He's learning from dad that church is rubbish and you swear at the people that try to tell you about church and, you know, they run down. And then they say, well, I'm leaving our choice up to them. No, they're not. They're teaching them. They're not teaching them the right thing. But that's the thinking of the world. You know, don't push your religion on your kids. You know, let them come with their own ideas. Also, parents should not force their convictions on children. You know, let the children choose their own kind of music. Let the children choose their own kind of entertainment. Let them choose their own friends and their own food and their own clothing. Let let them make all their choices. It's the kids' choices. They go to the store and mom says, what kind of food, what kind of cereal you want? I want that one. All right, well, yeah, we'll get that one. I mean, they don't, mom doesn't think about, is this good for them or not? No, the kid wants it, so I'm going to get it for him. You know, the children make their choices in life. It's a worldview. Their entertainment, their music. You know, mom and dad might not particularly like their, the kid's choice of music, but say, well, you know, kids are kids, you know, that's, that's what's popular today, so let them listen to it. That's the worldview. Parents should not force their moral beliefs on their children. Instead, parents ought to help their teens, and sometimes preteens, prevent pregnancy. And parents ought to expect their teens to be sexually active. That's part of life. I mean, they're all active. That's the way life is today. You know, come on, get into the modern age. That's the secular philosophy. Not God's philosophy, but that's the secular philosophy. Parents ought to give their children, especially their teens, lots of independence to do as they please. To go and come as they please. To watch what they please. To do what they want to do. I mean, just, I don't care what you do. Go do it. Just leave me alone. Go. Have fun. And they don't, they don't govern. They don't teach. They don't train. They don't guide. But that's the world philosophy. Seldom is it possible for parents to cultivate a close communion with their children so that their children feel comfortable sharing their hearts with mom and dad. The world doesn't even expect that to happen. Do you have a good communication with their children? Are you kidding? They don't talk to me about anything. That's the way it is these days. And that's not the way it ought to be these days, but that's the way it is. The children don't talk to mom and dad about their personal feelings. They run and talk to their peers about their personal feelings. And they talk to their others, that they, but they never talk to mom and dad. There's no close communication in the parent-child relationship. And I mean, the list could go on and on of things that we see around us in our world that are the worldview of parenting. And a lot of these are influencing Christian homes. But now let's take a look at the biblical worldview of parenting. Kind of follow the same pattern that we just looked at. To whom did the children belong? 
Well, the scriptures tell us in Psalm 127, verses 3 to 5. Flip over there with me. Good for you to see this one. Psalm 127, verses 3 to 5. Psalm 127, verse 3. It says, Lo, children are an heritage of the Lord, and the fruit of the womb is his reward. As arrows are in the hand of a mighty man, so are children of the youth. Happy is the man who hath his quiver full of them. They shall not be ashamed, but they shall speak with the enemies in the gates. God said the children are in heritage. We inherit our children. They're, they're a gift from God. They're a blessing that comes from God. Every child is that gift to the parents. It's a blessing. Not a burden. So many parents treat their children like it's just, oh, this kid, why did I have this kid? This kid is a curse. And they know those kind of thoughts in their mind beforehand. And that's why abortion is so popular today, because I just don't want another brat. I can't stand that. They're driving me crazy. At conception, God creates a human life in his own image. Also in Psalm Look at verse, this is a great psalm, Psalm 139. Psalm 139, and look with me at verse number 16. Psalm 139, verse 16. Thine eyes did see my substance. Now, the psalmist is talking to God. He says, your eyes saw my substance, yet being unperfect, And in thy book, all thy members were written, which are in continuance, were fashioned when as yet there was none of them. What is God saying? He was talking about the babe in the mother's womb. All its members were there. They were fashioned, though they were not visible yet. God was working in that little lad's Life, even when he was yet in his mother's womb. Now over to Ephesians chapter 6, where we began. Excuse me, Ephesians chapter 6. Look at verse number 4. Ephesians chapter 6, this is where we're going to spend much of the rest of our time. Ephesians chapter 6 and verse number 4. We read there, And ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Here we see that God addresses it to fathers. And it's interesting, as you go to the book of Proverbs, Proverbs is a, a parenting book. I think if I was to describe Proverbs in one way, I would say the book of Proverbs is about parents and families. It's a great family ch- uh, book to study through because it covers so many topics, just scores of topics that will help your children and yourself become what God wants us to be. It's a book about wisdom. It's a book that teaches us how God is so that we can be like God. It gives us God's thoughts, God's ideas, God's prohibitions, and God's blessings, and all of these things. The book of Proverbs is a great book. It's a great parenting book. And in that book, you will find no less than 12 times... Solomon puts mother and father together in a verse in instructing them about parenting. 
Parenting is not just dad. It's not just mom. It's mom and dad working together for the betterment of that child. The development of that child. We find also that biblical parenting takes teamwork in order to work at its full potential. I'm not saying a single mom can't raise their children for God. It's potential, but it's not full potential. There's going to be conflicts. There's going to be difficulties. Children need mom and dad. Moms, no matter how strong they may be, are not dads. And dads, no matter how tender they may be, are not moms. And so we need each other to be able to work as a team. And it's teamwork involved in parenting. The last three words of Ephesians 6, 4 are keys here, and we'll be looking at them some more later. But it says, of the Lord. The admonition of the Lord. The Lord is the one who is the guide. He is the one that teaches us. He's the one who helps us. We need to teach them and train them around the things of the Lord. It's about preparing our, our family for the Lord. It helps them to be what God wants them to be. Parents must have a biblical approach. And the next phrase of the verse here, we see here, he says, uh, provoke not your children to wrath. So fathers or moms, parents, provoke not your children to wrath. Now, this is perhaps the most difficult aspect of parenting. I mean, if I was to choose one thing, I look back over the years that we had our three boys at home. Without a question, one of the most difficult parts was the interaction with the kids. Not irritating them and yet being firm enough, strong enough, but not, you know. And, and he says, you're provoking not your children to wrath. You know, what sort of things provoke children to wrath? Well, there's you could come up with a huge list. Here's a few things to just chew on. Disharmony in your marriage. You say, what's that got to do with the kids? It's got everything to do with the kids. If mom and dad are fighting and arguing and they're not happy together, the kids spot that immediately. And it makes the kids feel unsettled and uneasy. And, oh, mom and dad are up at it again. You know, oh, boy. Hopefully, hope it settles. I hope they don't want them to leave. You know, I wonder if we're going to be secure. I wonder if we're going to have dad home with us next week or not. And, and there's, there's uncertainties. It causes a lot of problems in the home. Inconsistency. That's a killer. No matter how hard you try to be consistent, inconsistency is going to happen. It's hard to be consistent. Because the kids always find the worst time to be bad. And you're trying to be consistent. I'm going to be calm. I'm going to discipline them. I'm going to take care of the situation. Every time it happens, I'm determined I'm going to do that. And then they muck up in the worst part of the time. Either you're super busy and you just can't, how am I going to deal with this now? I've got so much to do here. Or you're on the phone or you're at church or in the shopping center and they're, they're being bad. Oh, come on, kids. And it's hard to be consistent. And if we're not consistent, then the children tend to get irritated. And rightfully so. It doesn't justify it, but we understand. It's hard to be consistent. 
Another one that's a killer is, now, now I'm too busy. Oh, I look back at that as nightmares. You know, different times my boys come to me, Dad, can we go do this? Not now, I'm, I'm busy right now. Dad, can we go do this? Not now, I'm busy. And I think, yeah, yes, there's times we've got to say that. Yeah, I'm, I'm busy, I can't do it right now. But making time and working through that and being the parent that we need to be to be there to help them and encourage them and provide, it's not easy. It takes work. Angry discipline. I wish I could tell you that I never disciplined my boys in anger, but I'd be lying. I did. At times. I'm ashamed of that. But I did. And I think basically every parent has to say, yeah, I've been there, done that. And it's not right. But it's not easy. It takes work. And it takes God's help. And in disciplining our children in anger is going to make them angry. And we understand that. Another one that we may not think about is having a child-centered home. Irritates the children. It would seem it's the other way around. What do I mean by a child-centered home? I mean, everything centers around those kids. I mean, we can't, oh, we can't do this tonight because the kids got to do this and they got to do, you know, we got everything, everything's about the kids. Everything's about the kids. You know, got to care for the kids. Yeah, well, yes, we have a responsibility there, but they need to be part of the family. Life isn't rotating, centering around the kids. Life is centering around God and the family, and the kids are part of that, but life doesn't center around the kids. In some families, their kids are their little gods. And, you know, whatever Johnny wants is what Johnny's going to get, you know, because we've got to meet Johnny's little needs. And life centers around them. That can irritate. At the outset, it sounds like Johnny would like that, but really... In reality, he's going to come to the place where he feels like, I just want mom and dad to take the leadership. Another one is harshness. goes hand in hand with the anger. Sometimes we can be harsh with our kids. Just be... Yeah, we need to be firm, but we can do it in a loving way. And it's not easy. Another one is criticism without compliments. I see my guilt in that. It's so easy to see their problems. It takes work to see their progress. You know, you did that again. Come on, that's the fourth time you did that today. Stop doing that. But instead of looking and saying, well, you... Hey, you did it right this time. Good on you. That's good. It's easy to see the problems. It's hard to see the compliments. And as a result, we all know what that's like. I mean, at work, if the boss, all he does is complains, you're going to get tired of that. If, if your school, the teacher, all they do is complain, you're going to get weary of that. We don't like to be just complain, complain that all the time. And none of us enjoy that. Neither do our children. And yet, it's so much easier to see the faults than it is the blessings. But it takes work. And it irritates them when we don't. Permissiveness, just letting them do as they please, that will irritate. Unreasonable demands. 
Nothing wrong with having some strict rules, but unreasonable demands makes it hard. Hypocrisy. Nobody knows you like your kids. Nobody. They see you all the time, in every circumstance. And they know whether you're the true blue or not. You know, if you come to church on Sunday and pretend you're Joe Christian on Sunday, but the rest of the week you live like you're not, the kids know that very, very well. We can't fool them. Hypocrisy is something, you know, so many kids say, I don't want anything to do with that religious stuff because my mom and dad were hypocrites. They took us to church and they did us, but they didn't live it. They were just no, no different than anybody else. I don't want any of that. Can't blame them. It's hard. We're all hypocrites to a degree. It's not easy. It takes work. It takes discipline. Comparing with siblings. It's not, it's not easy to avoid. You know, why can't you be good like your brother? Why can't you behave yourself like your sister does? Well, it's not the right thing to do, but there's a temptation to that. And then, then they get feeling like, well, I just can't be as good as my little sister. She's always a little angel. At least that's what they say. And so I'm always the one that's to blame. And, so, and then it, it builds up bitterness in the heart. Breaking promises. You know, we'll, we'll, we'll go to the ball game on Friday, Saturday, you know. Oh, sorry, son. We can't go to the ball game today. I got some stuff I got to do at the work, and you know, Mark and I. But Daddy, you promised. Oh, I know, but I, we can't do that. Oh, well, maybe another time. And I mean, they can handle that once or twice, but if that's a routine, that's going to make them bitter and angry inside. Playing favorites, showing you know, treating one of the children better than you treat one of the other ones. And you know, folks, if you've had more than one child, you know that they're not all alike. And some of them are a little easier to get along with than others. They all have different personalities. And there is a great temptation to say, this one here behaves himself and I like him. This one here is a... I have a hard time, you know, putting up with him. And yet we've got to treat them the same. Can't play favorites. It's not easy. Mocking. Nothing will break a child's heart, especially a teenager's heart, more than mocking. By that I mean saying mocking type things about them or making fun of them or pointing out, you know, teenagers especially are very sensitive about their appearance and their, you know, they're going through times with blemishes and pimples and and, and struggling maybe with their weight, or you know, and they want to be accepted. And, and if we make fun of any of that stuff, oh boy, that's bad. It really hurts. These things are just a few examples of things that can irritate our children. Now, for you children who are here, let me give you a word. Your parents will make mistakes. Every parent does. But your parents' failures do not give you justification to get angry. 
No matter how much your parents fail, it does not justify you getting angry about it. You've got to deal with it your own way. Now, I, I was just speaking to the parents and saying, don't do these things because you'll irritate them and anger them. And that's true. But it goes both ways. Children have a responsibility of their own as well. And it doesn't justify. Mom and dad aren't perfect, and they're, not, they're going to make mistakes. But when they do, it doesn't mean that you can be rebellious and bitter and angry just because mom and dad didn't do it just perfectly right. Because mom and dad are sinners just like you. We all struggle. So what does God say about parenting? We've looked at some of these basic things about who your parents, who the children belong to. What does God say about it? Well, here in Ephesians chapter 6, <clears throat> this is a key passage. And note again how it ends. He says there that it's to be done in or of the Lord. All right, so we're to bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. It's got to be centered around God. God's got to be the center of our homes. To learn God's ways to bring up our children, we need to spend plenty of time searching the scriptures and studying the Bible. You know, parents, we can't avoid that. We need to spend time in the book if we're going to find God's ways of doing it God's way. It's not about parenting according to our opinions or our feelings. Our opinions may not be biblical, and our feelings probably won't be at times. But we need to do it God's way. We need to ask God for wisdom and guidance. Parents are to bring up their children. He says they're... Ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up. That's an interesting phrase. Bring them up literally means to nourish them to maturity. To bring them up, to nourish them to maturity. That's going to take approximately 20 years. So during that 20 years, you have to nourish your child to maturity. That is the time when you have to apply these biblical principles of parenting in their lives to help them to become what God wants them to be. And he goes on, he says, nurture them to maturity. Bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. The nurture. The word nurture there is a word that means instruction and discipline that aims at increasing their virtue. Instruction and discipline that aims at increasing their virtue. That's what it means to nourish your child. And it's to be done nourishing them in the things of the Lord or of the Lord or the ways of the Lord. To nourish them. Now, as we think about this, the parent's goal must not be, and folks, this is one of those things where I I really didn't understand this to the extent that I should have as my boys were young. Parent's goal must not be to rear good kids. That is not a good goal. It is not a good goal to rear children who will excel academically. That is not a good goal. It is not a good goal to rear children that will be great athletes. That's not a good goal. At least it's not the goal that God wants it to be. The goal that God places before us is to rear our children 
in a way that they will please God. To rear our children to please God. So that they will make the right choices in life because God wants them to make the right choices in life. I remember times telling my boys, now boys, we're going away today. We're going over to this special person's place in our church and I want you to be good. Now remember, you're representing our family. I was being wrong. I should have said, do it right because God is watching and you want to please God. It's all about God. It's not about my family's reputation or our name or our rep. It's not about just being good. Don't be bad boys. Be good boys. No, be good because God wants you to be good. Because God is watching you. Because you'll answer to God someday. And because God is the one that you want to please. And teach them to fear God so that they'll want to please God. That needs to be our goal. To rear them in this way, to nourish them to maturity in the nurture of the Lord, the instruction and discipline that aims at increasing their virtue applies to a lot of areas of life. One is that we need to nurture them physically. Provide for them. I mean, a parent that doesn't provide for his family is not doing the right thing. Now, I know sometimes that, you know, things happen where dad gets sick and he can't work or, you know, he loses his job. Or I mean, I, We're not talking about these unusual circumstances, but some people are just lazy. And they don't care for their kids. And they don't provide for them. That's, that's our, our basic expectations is to provide for them and care for their care for their needs and to guide them in ways of staying healthy. You know, I think it's a shame that parents just say, I don't care what my kids eat, they can eat whatever they want. Listen, there's a lot of garbage out there that they'll eat that is going to cause them cancer and, and cause them to have a weak immune system and hurt their body over the years. And we need to look ahead at that and say, no, you're not going to eat that because that's not going to be good for you. But mom, my friends are eating it. That doesn't matter. I want you to be healthy. And God wants you to be healthy. Just guide them, all right? Every parent's got to make their own decisions in those things, but we need to get involved in their physical nurturing. Then there's nurturing them spiritually. Turn with me back to Deuteronomy chapter 6. Deuteronomy chapter 6, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 6. This is probably one of the key passages in the Scriptures that deal with parenting, and teaching them spiritually. Here in this passage, God is dealing with Israel. And I'm not suggesting we're Israel, but the principle here was to parents. And we see in verse number 5, he says, speaking to the parents, he says, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy might. And these words which thou which I commanded thee this day, that's the words that Moses had commanded them and God had commanded them this day, shall be in thine heart. And thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children and shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, when thou walkest by the way, when thou liest down, when thou risest up, and thou shalt bind them for a sign upon thine hand and they shall be as frontless between thine eyes and thou shalt write them upon the posts of thy house and, that, uh, and on the gates. I know what is God saying? I want you to teach your children what you have learned about me. 
That is our responsibility. So first of all, parents have a responsibility to make sure we are learning and gaining from the Scriptures every day. And then God says, turn that around and teach that to your children. Many children in Christian homes are so ignorant of the Bible. They need to learn the Scriptures. Teach them the books of the Bible when they're five or six years old. They shouldn't have to wait until they're teenagers and say, I can't find the book of Jonah. Is in there somewhere? No, they ought to know the books of the Bible like that. Say they can learn that. Little children are quick learners. Teach them the things of God. Teach them how to how to be kind and, and base it on the scriptures. Teach them the things you've learned from the word. He says, teach it to them when they're walking, they're sitting, they're sleeping, they're you know all these different times of the day, all day long. We need to incorporate God's word and God's principles in their lives. He talks about. Writing it on the post of your house, having scripture written on little plaques on the, around the house that, that can be a help as well. But keep the word of God before our children. Very important. You know, parents have a spiritual duty toward their children. Now turn with me over to the book of T- Timothy, Second Timothy chapter two, three. Second Timothy chapter three. Wait, the other end of your Bible, Second Timothy chapter three. Second Timothy chapter three, verse we've looked at not too awful long ago. Paul was writing to young Timothy, and he said in verse number fifteen, he says, "And thou, and that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith that is in Christ." He says, "Timothy, from a child you knew the holy scriptures. From a child." And you look at that word child, it's the word infant. It's not talking about, well, when he was 10 years old, we read the Bible together. No, when he was an infant onward, you were reading the scripture. So Timothy's mom and grandmother, his dad was evidently an unbelieving Gentile, uh, but his mom and grandmother taught him the scriptures and spent time with him in the word. And he, they nurtured him. You know, parents, not the Sunday school teacher, Not the pastor, not the Christian school, but parents must lead their children spiritually. If your children are not spiritually minded children, it's no one's fault but yours. It's not the pastor's fault, it's not the church's fault, it's not the Sunday school's. No, it's the parents. They're the ones that God has placed in charge of teaching the children the scriptures. Get them on a memory program. Children can absorb like a sponge. Get them memorizing scriptures. I'm so grateful for the scriptures that I, Melody and I both learned as, as young people. Hundreds and hundreds of verses in our youth groups and stuff and, and that we learned. And yes, it, it wasn't mom and dad that was teaching us. It was a, our youth group that was helping out with that. But mom and dad also reinforced it. They helped us with memory, memorizing scriptures as well. But it's important that we get the Scriptures into their hearts. Get them reading the Scriptures every day. They need to spend time in the Word. And then hold them accountable. You know, teach them how to study the Bible. Say, well, I don't know how myself. Well, then learn. Learn to study the Bible and then teach your children. 
That's what's important. They need to see mom and dad and say, come on, this is how I do it. I'll read this passage here, and then I think through this, and I ask myself, what do those verses mean? And if I find a word I don't know, I look it up, and when I, then when I got an understanding of it, then, then I'll, I'll write down something about that verse that will help me, that I can focus on and think about, teach them how to study the Bible. And then hold them accountable to it. Did you read your Bible today? What did you learn? Ask them that. It's important. And we need to nurture them emotionally. Be there to comfort them and give them biblical advice when they go through emotional times of their life. We all have those times. My friend hurt me. You know, what do I do? Don't just pat him on the back and say, Oh, Johnny was a bad friend. He shouldn't, shouldn't have that kind of... No, deal with it biblically. What did Jesus do when people hurt him? Loved him, prayed for him, forgave him. That's what we need to teach our children. Teach them how to handle these hard times in life so that when they face them later on in life, they'll face them in a more biblical manner. Help them educationally. Jeremiah chapter 10 and verse number 2, God told Israel, and I know this was to Israel, but he says, learn not the way of the heathen. I think there's a principle there for us. God doesn't want us to learn the ways of the heathen. To put our children under the influence of those that are teaching them contrary to the word of God is not helping them. It may very well be hurting them. We need to help them educationally. And if that's the only way that the children can be educated, then you've got to double work to counter that every time they come home from school. To help them to learn truth. Nurture them practically. Let them know how you love your spouse. I'm not talking about being inappropriate, but it's good for kids to see mom and dad hug and kiss. It's good for kids to see that. I mean, some of the fondest memories that I have of my mom and dad is every time. I mean, I can't think of a time when dad would come home from work. The first thing would happen, mom would meet him out at the front door, and she'd give him a hug and a kiss every time when dad got home from work. That was the way it was. I remember times when mom and dad, I could hear them in my bedroom. I'd go to bed. Their bedroom was next to ours. I'd hear them in there on their knees praying for us kids. I mean, that's good memories. Kids need to see that. The kids need to know mom and dad love each other. And they're working together to try to help us be what we ought to be. Practical things. Be a good role model for the children. (laughs) That's a tough one. See, but I can't be perfect all the time. No, but when you fail, admit it and say, I'm sorry, would you please forgive me? I didn't do it right. Here's the right way to do it. Teach them practical skills. Jesus, when he lived on this earth, he was a carpenter. Where did he learn that? From Joseph. Joseph was a carpenter. And he learned the skill from his father. So teach the kids the practical things of life. They may not always like it at the time, but they'll be glad for it later on. Teach them how to be, make wise and prudent choices in life. Many kids have no clue. You know, you, oh, I got $5 from Grandpa from, for, for my birthday. Let's go to the store. I want to spend my money. What are you, you going to buy? You know, I don't care what you buy, kid. Buy whatever you want. No way. Don't do that. Say, hey, listen, now think about this now. You got $5 from Grandpa. 
What were you wanting? Well, I'd kind of like to... Well, is that going to last? Is that something you're going to enjoy for a long time? Or is that something you're going to gobble down and it'll be gone? Think about it. Use prudence. Teach them, to, teach them the practical side of life so that they can make right and good choices in life. Teach them to save. I remember one of the things that was really good for my brother and I, mom and dad, we wanted a little... Back in those days, back must have been in the 60s, I think it was, we, the, the, we saw a little electric race car set. You put this little track together, and it was, you had these little things. You could run these little cars around this little race car track. And, but it, I think it cost $15. And that was big money for us. I mean, we were 15 bucks was a lot of money for us. And we, my brother and I saved and saved, and we'd work for my grandpa doing something. He'd give us a dollar, and we'd save that, and we'd put it together. Finally, we had our $15, and we bought our little race car track. That was special to us because we bought it with our own money. And we saved up for that. Now, teach them to do those kind of things. It'll help them. Teach them practical things. But then, also, we need to teach them and nurture them correctively. You know, the main theme of the book of Proverbs is obedience to parents. Proverbs chapter 22 and verse 15 says, Foolishness is bound in the heart of a child, but the rod of correction shall drive afar from him. Kids are foolish. That's kids are. They're born foolish. And God says the rod of correction shall drive afar from them. And you know, in our world today, it's, oh, you can't touch the kid like that. It's going to hurt. His, it's going to warp his emotions. No, God says it's far better to give him a pain on the bottom that will keep him from being bad the rest of his life than to let him go his own way and end up in prison someday. I heard a preacher just last night. I was listening to a, uh, a, a sermon and the preacher said, there are, the prisons today are full of people that would wish that they would have gotten a good hard spanking when they were a little kid so that they didn't end up where they are now in prison. And that's true. I'm not saying be brutal or unkind. There's a proper way to do it, and a biblical way to do it, and the book of Proverbs is full of verses and, you know, you can download my notes, and I've got a list of references that goes through the book of Proverbs, or you can just search the book of Proverbs for child-rearing verses. It tells you how to deal with it, how to deal. And, and God is very good, and God does it. He's, he wants it done in a loving way, a tender way. Discipline should be done calmly. And after you're done disciplining, to love them, Forgive them. Pray with them. Let them know that you've forgiven them. That God has forgiven them. And we need to pray for our children and help them. Also, Proverbs chapter 22 and verse 15. Oh, I just read that one. Sorry. Would someone just follow her up make sure she's okay? Leah, you alright to do that? Okay. Just If she needs help, you let us know. Um, God requires children to obey. Proverbs, uh, Ephesians chapter 6 and verse number 1 there, it says, Children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. Children are to obey, and God wants them to obey. And so we need to just teach our children, help them and guide them, instruct them in that. Now, as we wrap it up here, parents are need to, he says here in the verse, he says, bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Now, remember we said that the nurture there, nurture means to 
instruct them and discipline them with an aim of increasing their virtue. Admonition speaks of warning. Warning. Admonishing them. Be careful about this. Watch out for this. That's a very important part. You need to warn our children about the moral dangers of our world. You know, warn them about fornication and lust and immoral people and how to uh, identify foolishness. And, you know, the, the list goes on and on. Things you need to warn them about. We live in a dangerous world and we need warning. Second Timothy 2.22 says, Flee also youthful lust, but follow righteousness, faith, charity, peace, with the calling of the Lord out of a pure heart. He says we need to warn, flee, run from danger. We need to exhort them to keep their hearts and minds and actions and bodies pure. Very important. Proverbs chapter 4, verse number 23. Verse 4:23. Keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. Warn them. Keep your heart. Guard your heart. And we need to help them, not just say, guard your heart, but to help them and say, you're not going to watch that. You're not going to look at that. You're not going to that kind of a party. You're not going to listen to that kind of music. You're not going to, because I don't know, think that's right, and that's not what God would want. And I'm helping you and protecting you and warning you. But we need to teach them how to make their own choices on that as well, to guard their own hearts. Warn and protect them from the phone and the media and the dangers involved in all those things. There's many other warnings. We live in a dangerous world with lots of potential problems. One of the childhoods, once childhood and media and social society around us in general has a strong influence on his or her worldview of parenting. Every one of us have been influenced by the world around us. By the way you were raised. You say, well, I grew up this way and I survived. You know, that's okay. Or I'm going to do it like I, my parents did it because I made it okay. Well, it wasn't, maybe it wasn't biblical. You might have survived. You know, there's a lot of people out here that have survived, but it doesn't mean they are thriving. And God wants us to be Christ-centered and God-centered. And so we, we need to be very careful about hanging on to that worldview that's around us that is the unbiblical worldview but to overcome an unbiblical worldview requires careful evaluation, biblical study, prayer, strong determination to go against the current flow of our world. It's not going to be easy to be a biblical parent in the world we live in today. So we need to ask God for help. If you're here today and have never trusted Christ your Savior, obviously that's where it's got to start. Without Jesus as your Savior, you're going to have a tough time. But I think most all of us have put our faith in Christ, and as a result, we have, a, we have the advantage of knowing the Lord and being able to depend upon Him to be able to help us in this great task. So if God has given you children, you've got a lot of responsibility here. If God's not given you children, or if your children are grown, you can be a help and a blessing to others. And to be an encouragement, but it's good for us to have a biblical worldview of parenting.